All right, check, check. <clears throat> is this thing working? I think it is. Maybe. Maybe it's working. Let me see. Yeah, I think it's working. All right. Good morning. Let's do a show. morning everyone welcome this is just human number 203 it is monday it was an awesome weekend i think this week is going to be awesome hope you guys are doing well i have some coffee somehow i am managed to be up and awake this morning and operating i think my brain is functioning um we had an episode of defected last night and i gotta say it was pretty fire um if you're interested, if you haven't seen it, it's over there on the Badlands Rumble channel. It's episode 25, me and Burning Bright uh, talked about Trump's CNN. We talked about um, RFK Jr. And at the end of the show, we spent like 45 minutes arguing with trolls in chat about January 6th. And, um, uh, and it was good. Like we had a, we had a good show. It got a little bit contentious towards the end. Uh, but that's okay. Um, I enjoyed it and Burning Bright did too. And I think the audience did. Um, like I said, it's over on the Badlands Rumble if you missed it. If you did watch it, but you forgot to hit the thumbs up, please head over there and hit it. Hit that thumbs up. And thank you to everybody who has hit it. Over 3,000 thumbs up on it. Hopefully it'll rank pretty high on Rumble. 
and um, yeah, do well for us. So really, really appreciate it. Um, everybody who turns out to watch us on Sunday nights and who uh, upvotes and shares the show. So today, guys, I, I have, um, well, let me, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I slept like two and a half hours and I'm in one of those weird places where you sleep too little and you wake up kind of giddy and in a, in a happy mood and you know that you should be really tired, but you're not. And the caffeine is hitting just right. So I'm either about to, I'm either about to like put on a really good show or I'm about to put on a really silly show and mispronounce everything and totally lose my train of thought. And, um, this show is just going to fall apart. <laughs> one or the other is going to happen. So buckle up. <laughs> it's going to be one or the other, I think. <laughs> Whip and Spur says I need to at least fix my hair. <laughs> True story. I said, I said, screw combing my beard and mustache today. I just brushed it like this, scratched it a little bit, and then just went with it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to uh I didn't want to spend time trying to beautify it. Um I mean I think it looks okay. It's it's just not fancy. Um but I'm not feeling fancy today. All right, so first thing we're gonna talk about. Let's go. By the way, it's race week. I'm really excited. Uh F1 is going to Imola this week, and that race. That racetrack is awesome. The hist racing history there is awesome. Oh, I'm so excited for racing this weekend. Okay. Back on topic. Um, I think I want to go... Let's go here first. No, no, no. Let's not go there first. Let's go here first. So that 65-page report that the House came out with, um, I want to, I want to sort through this, but I'm not going to do it today on the show. Um, I thought about reading this entire thing with you today on the show, but I know there won't be enough time. I know I won't get through all of it, and then I'll feel obligated that I need to spend the next show on the last half of it. And then while I'm reading it, I'm going to want to search things out and connect things. And um, I'm, I'm, it's just not. So I, I think I may, may do a thread on it later and just like pick through it over the course of this week. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of interesting things in it. But anyway, I know I tossed it out there that I might go through this on the show today. I don't think that's not what we're going to do. I got I got a smattering of other things I want to get to. But I do want to point out that in the CBS News article that is about this report. That's right, PJ. And then I'll be I'll be playing catch up all week. That's exactly right. Um, Catherine Harridge, who we know how important she is. And, uh, newcomer Kimberly, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for becoming a monthly supporter, too. Really appreciate that. I especially appreciate that today, and I'll tell you about why later. Um, all right, so the CBS News article, Republicans say Biden campaign exploited former Intel officials to discredit Hunter Biden uh, laptop. This is about that 64-page report. What is really interesting to me in this is that the report maintains that emails at the time from former intelligence officials, including former director... CIA uh, of the CIA Morrell, a former CBS contributor, showed the statement was meant to help candidate Biden in the final weeks after the Post reported on the laptop. You guys know this. 
According to the GOP report, let me kill that screen. According to the GOP report, quote, contemporaneous emails show the organizers intent in drafting and releasing the statement. Quote, we think Trump will attack Biden on the issue at this week's debate, and we want to offer perspectives on this from Russia watchers and other seasoned experts, and we want to give the vice president a talking point to use in response. This is treason. This is intel people, current and former, who are conspiring together to help a specific candidate win against another candidate in a presidential election, and they are lying to accomplish it, and they are parading their expertise and their clearances and their experience in government and in intelligence, offering that as a reason to find them credible credible, and to believe them when they talk about this matter, which its purpose is to interfere in the election and throw it one way or the other. So totally treason, horrible crimes that these people committed, and they're going to be held to account. And this sentence right here is damning. This sentence is damning because it spells out exactly what they want to do. It spells out exactly why they are drafting this letter, why they want to do it, when they want to have it by. They want it done before the debate because they want to give it to Biden to use as a talking point in response to Trump. It's absolutely interference. It's absolutely illegal. It, and it's totally unethical. It's, to, it's absolutely wrong. All right. Now, during a debate on October 22nd, in response to Trump's taunts of, quote, it's the laptop from hell, the laptop from hell, Mr. Biden pushed back and said, quote, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that this that what this uh, what he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this has all the characteristics Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties. They say what he's been saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except him and his good friend, Rudy Giuliani. So Biden used it. The interim report accuses the Biden campaign of taking, quote, active measures to discredit the allegations about Hunter Biden by exploiting the national security credentials of former intelligence officials and also said, quote, the Biden campaign coordinated dissemination of the statement to members of the media. So the media joined in on this. They are complicit. Now, here is the real nugget in this article, I think. The committee investigators also claimed to have evidence that a current CIA employee may have assisted in obtaining signatories for the statement. They said that a former CIA analyst who had signed the letter told the committee that a CIA employee affiliated with the agency's pre-publication classification review board had told him over the phone about the statement and asked if he would sign it. So they had somebody in the CIA, specifically someone involved with the classification review board, who assisted in this effort. That's a huge deal. And I wonder if it'll if there may it may already be going. There may already be a um an internal investigation. It would be the IG for the CIA. Who is the CIA's IG? I need to look that up. I don't know his name, and I should know his name. Who is in the Office of Inspector General for CIA? Agency executive is Robin C. Ashton. She is the Inspector General of the CIA. When was she appointed? Biden... 
Oh, she served over all of them. January 2011 through 2018 as Office of Professional Responsibility. Okay, wait. She served in the OPR and DOJ from January 2011 to 2018. She also worked as Principal Deputy Director of the Executive Office of United States Attorneys. She worked between 2018 and 2021. She was at DNI. Served as Principal Deputy Inspector General for the Intelligence Community based in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And then she was nominated to serve as Inspector General of the CIA by Biden. So she went from... This one gives me a red flag a bit. The Office of, Office of Professional Responsibility because that's like internal affairs of DOJ and uh, they tend to cover up a lot of crimes and impropriety and whatnot. And they kind of... There's powers that the OPR has that IG Horowitz wants because he could do a better job than the OPR. I'll put it that way. So that concerns me that she was there for seven years. But the fact that she was moved from there to President Trump's DNI office is a very good sign. So from September 2018, which is an important month in the Trump admin, uh, through June 2021, she served in the direct in the office of the director of national intelligence. So she got moved there and worked under Grinnell and Ratcliffe. That's a really good sign. And then Biden nominated her to the CIA. Any anyway, that's interesting. I wonder if um, I wonder if this current employee has a file that is currently on her desk. Watch that space. That might be something we see come out pretty soon is uh, or maybe Jordan's going to send over a referral, a congressional referral to the CIA's IG saying you have a current employee who participated in this scheme. You need to investigate this. All right. Next thing. Hope you guys are ready for a court document because I have one. This is from. Alvin Bragg's case. And this filing is a bit old. This is from the 14th of May, but there's the reason I want to read this to you. It's not very long. It's only nine pages. Uh, the reason I want to read this to you is this is Trump's filing to remove the Bragg case against him from the Supreme Court of the state of New York to the federal court of the SDNY. And I think Trump is going to succeed. I think that this filing makes a heck of a lot of sense. In fact, I don't know how it gets denied, but hey, I'm not a lawyer. There's probably something I'm not thinking of and some lawyer out there can figure it out. But I think this is a great filing and it makes the case for why it needs to be moved for the federal court. And I think it's worth reading it because it's just a good filing and it's interesting in that respect. So um, E3Cents, thank you for the Rumble rant and for being a supporter. They ask, did you catch woke society's sauce dig on some of the white supremacy groups? Leads back to Azov in Ukraine. Yes. Yes, um, I did. Woke Societies has a thread about Patriot Front, um, that group. And he did, he wrote a really good thread on it that I read late last night. Um, I agree with him and his take um, up until the very last part of it, I think. I think at the very I think some of his conclusions at the very end I have some disagreements with. But I think he's right. Patriot Front is not a Fed group. 
And um, I think he's absolutely right that people keep throwing it around Fed as a pejorative and using it to on, on groups like this or anytime we see some group doing something that we find odd or whatever, curious, suspicious, they say, oh, it must be Feds. Um, and Patriot Front is getting called a group of Feds when there's literally no evidence whatsoever that they're Feds. There's none. There's there's nothing out there. Um, and there's plenty of evidence that they aren't. I talked to uh, Scott. Um, it was several months ago. He had posted something in our Badlands chat, and I sent him what I had found out about Patriot Front Group. And I talked to him about what I thought about them a bit. He's 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 found more information on them. I think that they are mostly LARPers, really. I think, like, I'm not disagreeing with Scott's dig. Like, I'm not saying that anything he did is, is incorrect, but I think that he got to the real core of what the group is. What I saw from their internal messages um, back last summer and that I shared with him um, is that they seem like a lot of LARPers who are a lower IQ and... I, I just don't think that much of them. I just I just really don't think that much of them. I think they're a big distraction. And I don't understand why they get as much attention as they get. Like, I think that Patriot Front is like the code pink of the right or something. Like, they're just not... I just don't think they're worth giving as much attention as what they get. Um but they definitely aren't feds and there's no there's just no evidence of that and i while i wouldn't be surprised if the if the fbi wanted to embed an informant in them because they had concerns about them i wouldn't be surprised if that if that was the case i don't see any evidence of them being coordinated by some us agency whether it's whether it's an fbi or the cia or anything else um scott found some really good evidence or woke societies he found some really good evidence and connections to Azov and Ukraine. And I think he's right. I think he's onto something with it. So good thread. If you guys haven't read it, it's on, um, you can find the link for it on his telegram, truth social and on his Twitter. They're kind of like, okay, Jason, uh, just good morning. He just said they forgot their tiki torches this time. Yeah. It's like this. Okay. It literally is. I don't know if you read Scott's thread, but it literally is that. It literally is the groups that were at Charlottesville. It's like a segment from those groups, like two thirds from each group that appeared at Charlottesville were brought together to be Patriot Front. And it's really just a group of white supremacist leaning people and who are LARPers. They dress up in the same outfit and parade around and they train together and they do physical fitness stuff. And, but just a bunch of bros doing stupid bro stuff. It's, I don't know. Anyway. All right. So anyway, this filing is Trump asking the court to, uh, to, to move to the, to move Bragg's case to the federal district court where it should be. And then I think what'll happen is it'll get shut down. I think Bragg, I think this whole Bragg thing is a dead end, but I, I believe there's a purpose to it. Um, I have to believe that there is a, there's a purpose to this entire thing with Stormy, Michael Cohen, Trump, 
I think that there is a reason that Bragg and his team in that office have been baited and led to do what they've done with their indictment by Stormy and Cohen and others. And I think that there's a there's a there's a reason we have we have not yet seen. I think there's something here that they're going to try and bring out. I don't know if it connects back to um, uh, what's his name, Vexelberg. I don't know if it connects back to some other person who gave money to Michael Cohen in one of his LLCs. I don't know if it goes to Elliot Broidy. I don't know. But there's something more here. And I think that we're going to find out what it is sooner rather than later, because once this goes to the federal district, I think it'll get thrown out. I think because the federal court already looked because federal investigators already looked at this. I think it'll get thrown out, but between it getting thrown out and now, there's going to be some filings that are going to reveal something that's going to make us all go, ah, that's what's going on here. That's the real story here. So, all right. From this filing, President Donald Trump, through his counsel, blah, 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 against this pending action and the people of the state of New York versus Donald Trump, Trump, et cetera, et cetera. True and correct copy of the indictment is attached, etc. As explained below, this court has original, this court, meaning the SDNY, the federal court, has original subject matter jurisdiction over this criminal action because the case involves important federal questions since the indictment charges President Trump for conduct committed while he was president of the United States that was within the color of his office and charges involved um, they involve alleged federal and state election law violations that have prompted that have that have a federal preemption defense. I'm going to read that again because I screwed it up. <laughs> As explained below, this federal court has original jurisdiction matter, original subject matter jurisdiction. This might end up being a really silly show over this criminal action because the case involves important federal questions. Since the indictment charges President Trump for conduct committed while he was president of the United States that was within the color of his office and the charges involved alleged federal and state election law violations that have a federal preemption defense. This squarely belongs in federal court. This case is unprecedented in our nation's history. Never before has a local elected prosecutor criminally prosecuted a defendant either for conduct that occurred entirely while the defendant was the sitting president of the United States or for conduct that related to federal campaign contribution laws. As explained below, removal is required. Removal meaning putting this case in federal district. This line right here, man, I just think of Hillary Clinton and others. Never before has a local elected prosecutor criminally prosecuted a defendant either for conduct that occurred entirely while defendant was sitting in a high office or for conduct that related to federal campaign law violations. Mm. All right. So the removal is timely. We filed for this in time. That's what this section is. This thing is on time, which it's perfectly fine for us to file for this. Now the venue is appropriate. Got that checked off. The allegations against president Trump in this case are based on checks allegedly, allegedly written to Michael Cohen by President Trump in 2017, while he was president of the United States. The district attorney's office alleges that these checks, which President Trump allegedly signed while sitting in the Oval Office, as well as related records, 
are false because they characterize these payments as, quote, legal expenses and, quote, retainer payments, when, according to the DA's office, they were allegedly reimbursements to Michael Cohen for a payment made by Cohen to Stormy Daniels for campaign purposes. The defense denies that they were these were false records. So I remember early on with this, one of the things I thought was, hey, Michael Cohen is saying that these documents indicate he was paid for this and it was um, reimbursement. The documents are titled, the invoices were titled, that um, were described as legal expenses and retainer. And I speculated that Michael Cohen is known for forging things. I wonder if these documents were forged. And Trump's team says, no, they're not. These records are real. The defense denies that these records are real, and they say it's accurate. They're saying that these records are real, and this was for legal expenses and as a retainer. After investigating this case for five years, on March 30th, 2023, a grand jury returned a 34-count indictment against Trump. All 34 counts charged the same offense. The misdemeanor of falsifying business records offenses contained in New York. As relevant to this matter, it punishes as a misdemeanor one who, with intent to defraud, quote, makes or, ca- or causes a false entry. Well, Trump's team is saying these records aren't false. If they're not false, then all 34 counts get thrown out. Under New York law, the misdemeanor offense is elevated to a felony when the person commits the crime of falsifying business records in the second degree and when his intent to defraud includes an intent to commit another crime or to aid or conceal the commission thereof. Bragg has yet to name another crime. The district attorney's office alleges that the other crime that President Trump intended to commit or conceal was election law violations in connection with 2016 election for president of the United States, but there is no crime charged. He hasn't charged that crime. This is a novel theory the president, that President Trump committed a felony under New York law because the payments to Michael Cohen were supposedly mischaracterized in the records of an enterprise and that this mischaracterization was allegedly done in order to conceal an election law crime, an unspecified one. There has never been a prosecution under New York state law based on an alleged violation of election law pertaining to a federal election. And there are serious federal preemption issues with such a prosecution. As noted by the Honorable Mary Kay Viscoschel, in a recent decision, a former ADA who wrote a book about this case conceded inter alia the following about the legal theory underlying this case. The facts surrounding the payments did not amount to much in legal terms, as paying hush money is not a crime under New York state law, even if the payment was made to help an electoral candidate. That's not Trump's attorney saying that. That's Judge Viscoscio. The facts surrounding these payments in this case do not amount to much in legal terms as paying hush money is not a crime under New York state law, even when done to help a political candidate. There appeared to be no felony state crime in play. The Trump investigation should have been handled by the U.S. DOJ rather than Manhattan DA's office. And federal prosecutors previously looked into the Clifford, meaning Stormy Daniels, hush money payment scheme and did not for, did not move forward with the prosecution. Judge Viscochel also recognized that D.A. Bragg faced political pressure to bring this case 
writing that Bragg is an elected prosecutor in New York County with constituents, some of whom wish to see Bragg wield the force of law against the former president and a current candidate for the Republican presidential nomination. Now, this is probably the most important section. Removal is required. Pursuant to 28 U.S.C. 1442A1, upon the application of the federal officer, quote, criminal prosecution that is commenced in a state court and that is against or directed to any officer of the United States in an official or individual capacity for or relating to any act under color of such office must be removed by them to the District Court of the United States for the district and division embracing the place wherein it's pending. This says, 28 U.S.C. 1442A1 says, that when an officer of the United States is charged in state court for acts committed or related to something they did while in office, then the case must be moved to a district court. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. There's no exception. It just straight up, that's what it says. And I think that makes it a slam dunk. I'm no lawyer, but I think that might make it a slam dunk, that this case must be moved to the SDNY. The removal statute applies to former officers of the United States if the charged, charged conduct relates to conduct of their performance while in office, and this most of this occurred while Trump was in office. In officer removal cases, a district court applies a two-step process. First, the officer must raise a colorable federal defense. The federal defense need only be colorable, not clearly sustainable. Second, the officer must show that the suit is one for or relating to any act under the color of his office. It is sufficient for there to be a connection or association between the act in question and the federal office. So it doesn't have to be even firm. It's sufficient for there to be a connection, quote unquote, or association, quote unquote. We definitely got that here. We definitely got that here. President Trump satisfies both of these elements. President Trump will name a number of colorable federal defenses. Um, President Trump will assert that the statements in the purported business records are truthful. Because the money paid to Cohen was in part a retainer or legal payments to Michael Cohen to act as President Trump's personal attorney. At the time of his election, there was some public expression of concern about potential conflicts of interest, corruption, possible constitutional violations due to President Trump's extensive business interest and wealth. Thus, shortly before assuming the office of presidency, and in order to assure the American public that he had separated his personal business from his public duties, as well as to fulfill various constitutional obligations, and the Foreign Emoluments Clause, and the Take Care Clause, President Trump, in an abundance of caution, placed his businesses in a trust. Additionally, President Trump hired a personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, to handle his personal affairs. These steps were taken solely because he was President of the United States. As such, President Trump's decision to retain Michael Cohen to act as his personal lawyer arose out of his duties as President and therefore gives rise to a federal defense to the charges in this case. Moreover, the DEA has made clear in court filings that the failing charges in this case are predicated on an alleged intent to violate New York election law. 
President Trump will raise the federal defense preemption to both of these predicate charges. New York election law makes it a misdemeanor offense for any two or more persons to conspire to promote or prevent the election of any person to a public office by unlawful means and which conspiracy is acted upon by one or more of the parties here too. Applying this to President Trump, who has only been a candidate for federal office, would violate the preemption provision of 52 U.S.C. 30143, which provides that, quote, the provisions of the Federal Election Campaign Act and the rules of prescribed under this act supersede and preempt any provision of state law with respect to election to federal office. Similarly, that preemption provision prevents the ability of a state prosecutor to charge a crime where an element of that crime is a federal campaign contribution violation, as the DA office attempts to do here. In determining whether the underlying conduct relates to acts performed under the color of office with the meaning of the federal removal statute, the officer must show a nexus, a causal connection between the charged conduct and asserted official authority. President Trump more than adequately satisfies the standard. All the indictment's charges relate to a claim that President Trump falsified business records maintained by the Trump Organization by allegedly falsely indicating that the payments to Michael Cohen were legal expenses or retainer. But the money was, in fact, legal expenses or retainer. As discussed, as part of his defense in the case, President Trump will demonstrate that Mr. Cohen was, in fact, his personal lawyer, who was only hired as a direct result of President Trump's role as President of the United States and his obligations under the Constitution and in order to separate his business affairs from his public duties. Additionally, his acts, um, acts taken as part of the election to the office of President of the United States relate to President Trump's position as president, and therefore conduct underlying the charges relates to acts performed under the color of his office. In other words, there is a clear nexus between the payments to Mr. Cohen and former President Trump's position as president of the United States. Finally, this court is protective jurisdiction because the instant indictment of it of politically motive was politically motivated and was brought because a local politician, D.A. Bragg, disfavored President Trump's acts and policies as president of the United States. For these reasons, they want the case moved. The decision on this, I believe, is supposed, I think this is supposed to be heard or argued in front of a judge late June. I think it's June 27th, but I remember it's late June. A federal judge is going to take a look at this and decide. That's, this is the next major happening in the Bragg versus Trump case. And to be honest, guys, I don't know what happens when this gets decided and if it gets moved to a Southern District Court. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that process works. I don't know if it goes to District Court and now Bragg can't argue it. The SDNY, like federal attorneys have to p- pick this up. Like, I don't know. I don't know how this works. Um, I wish I did. I'm not exactly sure how to look it up either, but I, I, I guess I have to find some case where it's happened before and examine what that process was. But this is unique because it involves a former president. So I don't know what it, how this plays out. If, if the judge decides it gets moved to federal court, I don't know if Bragg and his office go with it and argue it in federal court. I'm guessing that's the case. I don't know if a U.S. attorney is supposed to look at the case and decide whether or not they want to pick it up and prosecute it. I don't know. 
when I find out, I'll tell you. But uh, right now, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I already got that piece. All right. Um, let's do this next. Remember the uh, independent state legislature theory. The North Carolina case. Um, what is it? Moore v. North Carolina, I think. Um, Supreme Court has it. They may actually not make an announcement on it. They may actually not say anything about it because of moves made in North Carolina. The Supreme Court has an electoral bomb on its hands. Will it defuse it before 2024? The left is terrified of this case. Absolutely terrified of this case. They hate it. And they don't want they don't want SCOTUS to decide on it. Um but there's been a development in North Carolina which directly affects it. A controversial legal theory that could completely upend American elections may not be resolved by the Supreme Court this year. Some legal experts warn there will be chaos ahead of 2024 if the high court doesn't act. What they're really scared of is that the Supreme Court will look at that case and was, or is it more V Harper? More V North Carolina, more Harper. I don't remember. Um, what they're scared of is that the Supreme court is going to strengthen the state's ability to run their own elections and to get courts out of it. And it's going to be the state legislatures that run elections and set election laws in their respective state. And the left does not want that to happen. Because they like it that they can involve courts in elections and use them to expand mail-in voting and um, squash or negate or mitigate signature verification. As you guys are aware, so much stuff has happened in um, how elections are run, thanks to Mark Elias and others who have manipulated things so that it's much easier for um, elections to be influenced. It's electioneering, and they've been using courts to do it. And this would shut that down. And that's why the left is scared. And that's why this article is characterized in the way it is. Some conservative legal scholars and attorneys have been advancing a once fringe idea known as the independent state legislature theory, which gives state courts little to no role in interpreting election law set by state legislatures. But now the future of the Supreme Court case addressing this theory, Moore v. Harper, is in question because a state level ruling could make it mute, moot. The nation's highest court has also signaled that it may skip out on issuing a decision. That concerns even some strident critics of ISL who worry that the lack of a clear decision risk in injecting disarray into the 2024 election and the litigation that is guaranteed to accompany it. What they really mean is that it risks them losing. This case is a threat to how the left and the uniparty have been electioneering for several decades. Quote, I at least want them to deal with the bomb before the 24 elections, said Justin Levitt, a former senior policy advisor and democracy and voting rights advocate at the Biden White House. Some legal experts have warned that accepting some versions of the theory could remake American elections by giving legislatures a much freer hand to set the rules of the road for congressional elections. Another thing that terrifies them about this is they don't want states passing voter ID 
in passing voter verification and all sorts of other election security measures. That's another thing they, that, that they're terrified of. It's not just getting this elections out of courts, but securing elections thanks to a ruling in Moore v. Harper. For instance, states could have potentially unchecked partisan gerrymandering or unfairly altered the rules governing how people can register to vote and cast ballots. That right there. That's what they're scared of. Most urgently, some warned that the theory could also grant legislatures similar unbound authority for presidential elections because of similar language language and clauses in the U.S. Constitution. Quote, it would mean instant chaos for conducting congressional elections and presidential elections. Chaos for them. Quote, it means that you're no longer sure whether the same rules apply to federal elections that apply to state elections. Well, they shouldn't. There's state elections and then there's federal elections. So it's going to be different. The U.S. Supreme Court took up Moore v. Harper, a case last year out of North Carolina, that many proponents of the independent state legislature theory viewed as a vehicle to address the theory. That case was Republican legislators in North Carolina challenging a state Supreme Court decision. They ruled that the maps lawmakers drew were unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders with court-drawn congressional maps eventually being used for the 2022 elections. Four Supreme Court justices, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, have in the past at least entertained ISL theory. But during oral arguments in December, a majority of the court seemed unwilling to adopt a strong version of the theory. But since December, and this is the real news here, the North Carolina State Supreme Court announced it was rehearing a case on redistricting in the state. A highly unusual move that came after the court flipped from 4-3 Democratic to 5-2 Republican in the November elections. Ultimately, the North Carolina State Supreme Court overturned its own ruling. They overturned their own ruling on redistricting and said it would not litigate partisan gerrymandering, which vacated the decision that is the basis for Moore v. Harper. And that has raised the question of if the U.S. Supreme Court will still issue a decision in Moore or dismiss the case as improvidently granted, which is the court effectively saying it should not have heard it in the first place. There have been signs the court is leaning in that direction. But the Supreme Court has twice asked parties involved in the case to issue further briefings once after the North Carolina court said it would rehear the case. And again, following the ruling of the North of out of North Carolina court watchers say the plea for more briefings was a sign the U S Supreme court might ultimately skip on issuing a decision. Now, Evildoer, Mark Elias is quoted in this article, and he says, quote, given the composition of the Supreme Court, no one who cares about free and fair elections should be rushing to get the Supreme Court to potentially create any doctrine where none exist. What he's saying is that he's glad that this has happened and he doesn't want the Supreme Court to decide Moore v. Harper because the Supreme Court is so conservative right now, he knows that they would side 
with the Republicans, and he would strengthen the state legislature's authority over their elections and kick courts out of it. And Mark Elias has made his name using state courts to gerrymander and electioneer. So part of me is wondering, guys, if the North Carolina Supreme Court messed up. I mean, they may not have, and it may not have been that they had a choice, you know, but the court flipping to Republican and then them rehearing these case, this case and then changing their ruling may have undermined Borvey Harper's path at the Supreme Court. It may not, though. It may not. They may decide it and we may turn out we may we may be super happy once it comes out and like Yeah, it like we it could work out great, but I, I just see that I'm like, ooh. That kinda of, kinda of seems like we may have had two left feet there. And uh but who knows? We'll see. Um, filter dog. Thank you very much for the rumble rant. They say, I thought Mark Elias stepped down from Perkins Cooey. He did. He has his own, he stepped down from Perkins Cooey and then he has his own law firm, which if I remember right, he recently stepped down from, didn't he? He left Perkins Cooey and then he had his own law group, Elias law group. And then I think recently, didn't we have a story that he, um, he stepped down from that because of, uh, because of something going on. Kind of feel like there was some news about Elias recently and he he left his law group temporarily or something because of I don't remember. Anyway. Screw that guy. I can't wait for him to get indicted. Maybe that's why he parted ways. That's it, Dina. Thank you, Dina. He he's he's not going to be the DNC's lawyer. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Okay. We have Durham news. We have Durham news from American Oversight, which says they're nonpartisan, but they're absolutely. A thousand percent totally leftist partisan. Uh, like, to- <laughs> it's not even close. They're deranged. Um, but they're still a bit useful because they filed a long time ago. They filed for, like FOIA request for a bunch of documents having to do with uh, Barr's DOJ and John Durham. And there's been a development. On Friday, this past Friday, the Department of Justice dropped a key objection to the release of more than 4,500 pages of documents related to the Durham investigation. And then here's where their bias comes in. The Trump-era inquiry into the origins of the FBI's probe of the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. The DOJ had previously withheld the records, claiming that their disclosure would interfere with an ongoing law enforcement investigation. Instead of filing an anticipated brief that would have defended the withholdings, the department withdrew its assertion of the, quote, ongoing investigation exemption, 
strongly suggesting that the Durham investigation has been closed. The reversal was announced in a motion filed in the FOIA case brought by American Oversight in August of 2019. To compel the release of documents related to the Durham inquiry, including communications between Durham and senior justice officials and any communications Durham or DOJ officials may have had with Trump, uh, the Trump White House or Congress. So what they're what they're saying here is that they filed these this FOIA request for these documents, these forty five hundred pages of documents. And DOJ had said, now nah, you can't get a look at these things because they're part of an ongoing investigation. Now DOJ has withdrawn that. And so this group is interpreting that as, oh, well, DOJ no longer has an objection to those documents. That must mean that the law enforcement investigation has ended. That must mean that Durham has ended. That's their thought process here. And what I want to go to is the filing itself. So if you read the filing itself that they're talking about, which is right here, seven pages, it's from, wait a minute, did I link the wrong one? In my tweet, I may have linked the wrong page. I did. It's too late for me to correct that tweet. Anyway. Well, crap. Shows you how many people clicked my link. Nobody bothered to tell me how wrong I was, and I put the wrong link there. All right, hold this moment. I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the link to what I actually wanted. That's the lawsuit. This is the motion. I linked the lawsuit and not the motion. Is what I did. All right, so here's the motion. It's only three pages long. DOJ buying through its counsel. Moves the court to vacate the briefing schedule, meaning throw out the briefing schedule we'd previously agreed on from March 20th. And we direct the parties to file a joint status report within 30 days, updating the court on the party's progress. Good cause exists for such an order because we're changing what we're withholding and the reasons why. The FOIA requests that form the basis of this complaint seek, broadly speaking, records reflecting communications between one the Office of the Attorney General, or the Office of the Deputy Attorney General, and two, U.S. Attorney John Durham, the main Justice Communications FOIA, and records reflecting communications between the U.S. Attorney Durham, the OAG, the Office of the AG, the Deputy Office of the AG, the White House, and Congress. In regards to to matters involving U.S. Attorney Durham, they were directed to rev- the DOJ was re- directed to review or investigate um, these documents and then respond to this FOIA. The FOIA requests were sent to DOJ's Office of Information Policy and the Executive Office for United States Attorneys. The DOJ searched for these records responsive to these requests, reviewed them, and finished its initial production to plaintiffs in May of 2021. After further consultation with plaintiff, DOJ made a supplemental production. In May 2022. To date, across all requests at issue in this case, DOJ has produced 344 pages with partial withholdings pursuant to one or more FOIA exemptions, including Exemption 7A. 
Exemption 7A is the one for ongoing investigations. DOJ has also withheld in full 4,567 pages and one voicemail audio file based on an assertion of Exemption 7A. Look at the footnote. The footnote says DOJ also asserted Exemptions 1, 3, 5, 6, 7C, 7D, and 7E. Additionally, DOJ informed plaintiff that other exemptions may apply to documents withheld pursuant to Exemption 7A. Keep that in mind. After meeting and conferring, the parties were unable to resolve their disputes regarding defendant's assertion of Exemption 7A to withhold these documents in whole or in part. The parties therefore requested and the court adopted a partial summary judgment briefing schedule regarding Exemption 7A without foreclosing defendants' raising of any other basis for withholding documents responsive to plaintiff's request and plaintiff's ability to dispute any assertion. Under this briefing schedule, defendants' motion for partial summary judgment would be due today. Upon further consideration, defendant, meaning DOJ, has decided to withdraw its assertion of Exemption 7A as a basis for withholding records or portions of records identified to date as responsive to plaintiff's request. Defendant will therefore reprocess the identified records and make supplemental responses to plaintiff. Defendant will make the first such supplemental response to plaintiff on June 1st. Because defendant has retracted its assertion of Exemption 7A as a basis for withholding documents currently at issue, Proceeding with the summary judgment briefings regarding that assertion would be unnecessary waste of, of the court's time and resources. Prior to the filing this motion, defendant conferred with plaintiff and plaintiff expressed that it does not oppose the motion. So they've agreed. They're fine with a new briefing schedule. What DOJ is saying, guys, if it's not clear, is that they did previously object to at least 4,500 pages under Exemption 7A meaning there was an ongoing investigation. We're not going to give you these documents in full. Maybe not even in part. But now, DOJ has changed their mind, and they now say that they are no longer claiming Exemption 7A, but they do note they may claim other exemptions. And they're filing for the judge to order a new briefing schedule, and... To go forward with this. What this means is that one, we're going to get some documents. One, American Oversight in their, their lawsuit here, they're probably going to get some documents, full and partial documents from DOJ that are responsive to their request for this FOIA. But it also means that there's been some change. Something in regards to some investigation that was going on that connected to these documents and that DOJ felt was suitable to use Exemption 7A on, meaning there was an ongoing investigation, has has ended. There's been a change. American Oversight thinks the change is that Durham's investigation has closed. I think the investigation has shifted into a new phase. And I think the 7A exemption no longer is applying to this chunk of 4,500 documents. But it doesn't mean Durham's counsel 
is closed. Um, you remember Durham was charged with investigating the origins. Let's look at, let's look, let's grab it. Let's grab Durham's document right here. This is what Durham was ordered to do. Ordered and authorized to conduct a preliminary review into certain matters related to the 2016 presidential election campaigns and subsequently developed subsequently developed into criminal investigations which remain ongoing. That's really broad. He's supposed to do a preliminary review into certain matters. He doesn't say exactly what they are, but Durham knows, related to 2016 campaigns. And Mr. Du Mr. Durham subsequently developed into criminal investigation, which remains ongoing. Following consultation with Durham, I have determined that in light of those extraordinary, that's where Durham started. Okay, that's his start. Is that what he was? That's what he was doing. That would be under. See, this this is from May thirteenth, twenty nineteen. Barr directed Durham to look at those things. That would fall under the time frame of what American Oversight was requesting documents for. So whatever was going on that Durham was still working on as regards those early, the preliminary review, that's where the changes happened. Accordingly, Barr went and gave Durham the authority and appointed him special counsel and authorized him to investigate whether any federal official, employee, or any other person or entity violated the law in connection with the intelligence counterintelligence or law enforcement activities directed at the 2016 presidential campaigns. Individuals associated with those campaigns and individuals associated with the administration of Donald J. Trump, including but not limited to Crossfire Hurricane and the investigation run by Special Counsel Mueller. If the Special Counsel believes it's necessary and appropriate, the counsel is authorized to prosecute federal crimes arising out of these matters and um, any other crimes he finds along the way. So, I think what's happened is that Durham has finished that preliminary first part. I think his investigation into the origins, into the very first part, is done. And that's why that Exemption 7A is no longer applicable. And I think Durham has now shifted into a new phase, which to me means we may get an interim report. We keep on getting these articles running that we've been getting them for months and months saying that any any day now, Durham's going to publish his report and the media talks about it as if it's his final report. When there's three types of reports that Durham can do. Confidential and interim and final. I'm hoping Durham hits us with an interim report. And he just updates Congress and the AG on what he has learned so far. And he goes over the origins. He goes over the beginning. And then says, and now I'm going to continue to investigate the rest. That's what I'm hoping happens. Um, and I think this is not too bad of a sign that that might be it. He, ends, he's, he stopped the first part. It's going to issue an interim report, interim report, and then move on to the next um, targets. But we'll see. We'll see. Man, chat is quiet today. There's a lot of people watching, but chat is quiet. 
Y'all maybe are you, did I did maybe we scared you on defected last night. <laughs> maybe we maybe we uh people are feeling in, feeling a little apprehensive about engaging in chat. <laughs> or good morning music and fiction. Yeah, maybe we just kept y'all up too late. <laughs> All right, so I want to show you y'all may have seen this. There is um a ammo supply dump um or an ammo warehouse uh hit in Ukraine. Um now y'all are waking up letting me know y'all are there. Yeah, I, I mean I know y'all are watching. Y'all just haven't been commenting much. Um I'm glad y'all find it interesting. So, I want to show y'all a couple clips of this this uh, strike that happened in Ukraine. Um, the secondary explosions really tell you the tale here. You have the initial explosion, but there's more that happen afterwards, um, which reveal that this is a hit on a um, ammo storage facility. The reporting is that this was a hit on a facility that contained artillery and um, missiles um for air defense uh all sorts of things basically you know how the media has been on a hype train lately hyping ukraine's coming counteroffensive against russia and soon ukraine is going to start their counteroffensive and they're going to kick russia out of bakhmut and they're going to they're going to take back areas of ukraine that russia got mm, yeah well what you're looking at there is all the ammo they were going to use for that operation going up, going off all at once and nice and one nice show of fireworks. Um, this explosion that was caught from this video, this is actually much later than this first one. So see this first one here. Actually, there's already been a hit, but this is another hit that's happening right here. Cause you can see there's already been an explosion back here before this one happens. Look at this. See those clouds that are already that high up. So this one is after all of these have happened. All of these have happened. Let me, let me, uh, this is a massive one. Let me scroll back on this one. Much, much later after this one, after that smoke cloud has had time to go high up in the sky and start drifting and over here, see that, see the difference? More explosions happen. So now I don't know if this guy's accurate. I got no idea who this guy is. I got no idea if what he's written here is accurate, but I do know that that was absolutely an ammo storage facility. And Ukraine just lost a massive amount of ammo. And I want to make a large point to this. Ukraine supposedly has air defense systems. They have Patriot missile systems and all sorts of things that are supposed to stop this from happening. And it, it didn't happen. They weren't effective. I've, I saw a report that um, some air defenses were able to shoot down some of the drones or something that were headed for this site, but the site went up. Um, there's multiple explosions at this site as ammo is cooking off. I, um, 
I think this incident, besides indicating that Ukraine is not set up for any kind of meaningful counteroffensive at all against Russia, I think this speaks to the fact that Putin, he can literally take over Ukraine anytime he wants to. I was talking to Bibi about this last night, that Putin has the he has the power, the ability to just nuke Kiev and take the whole country over by the end of the week. Like by this Friday, you Putin could run Ukraine. There would if if Putin wanted to, there could be no Ukraine. He could have the whole he could own the entire country such that it is by the end of this week. All he's got to do is actually go to war with them. All he had to do is actually go to war with them, but he's not. Instead, it's tons of surgical strikes. It's luring, it's bait, it's cauldrons, it's, um, he's being so careful with Ukraine and trying not, he's actually trying to win this conflict by doing as little damage as, while doing as little damage as possible to the actual country of Ukraine to the actual infrastructure. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. And he could do this anytime he wants. Whenever they think it's right, they can go and destroy stockpiles of equipment and ammo like he just did here. It's remarkable. Putin is, Putin is absolutely in control of this war. And I think I think that's what this speaks to. Um, the, I think I think this also. I mean, I'm not a soldier, so I don't know. But I gotta imagine a strike like this is massively demoralizing for Ukrainian armed forces to see that much ammo get cooked off like that. I mean, that that is so massive. That is so massive. Um. Yeah, there goes their spring counteroffensive. It's gone. We have more Ukraine news. Uh, Liz Jen, thank you very much. They say they're running errands while listening. Caught up with Defected this morning. Great job. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Be safe while running errands. Um, this news just came out this morning. I grabbed it right before I went live. Ukrainian security agency says it suspects Tycoon Furtash of embezzlement. You guys may remember this dude's name. Ukraine State Security Agency has served businessman Dmitro Furtash and top managers of his company he controls with notices of suspicion of embezzlement. They were given to them by the Security Service of Ukraine, or the SBU. A representative for Furtash, who is currently in Vienna, did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment. The SBU said that, acting with the Economic Security Bureau, the BEB, it had uncovered the alleged theft of up to $485 million between 200, 2016 and 2022 as part of a large-scale scheme involving Ukraine's gas transit system. Effectively, we are talking about the embezzlement of money from ordinary Ukrainians who paid their utility bills. 
While fighting Russia's invasion, Ukraine has also been seeking to reduce political influence enjoyed by some businessmen since the collapse of the Soviet Union. I think that's a big part of what's going on. Ukraine imposed sanctions on Firtash last June, I remember, accusing him of selling titanium products that Kiev said ended up being used by Russian military enterprises. Firtash denied the allegation. Firtash is one of the wealthiest people in Ukraine. And he has been indicted by the United States on bribery and racketeering charges. He denies wrongdoing and is fighting extradition from Vienna. He's been there for a long time fighting extradition. Um, his name is one that you guys may be familiar with. The media loves to mention his name along with Giuliani and Trump and try and tie them all together as though there's some connection where Trump is funded by the Russian mafia. But what was really going on is that Trump and Rudy and uh, Joe DiGenova and Victoria Tunsing were actually acting as assets to gather evidence on Furtash and his uh, comrades, I believe. Um, the United States Justice Department has characterized Furtash as, quote, an upper echelon associate of Russian organized crime. This dude's an international swamp monster. He was arrested by Austrian authorities in March of 2014 and has since then been in Vienna fighting extradition to the United States, where he is under federal indictment for alleged bribery scheme. American attorneys, DeGenova, Tunsing, and associates of Trump, including Rudy Giuliani, were hired by Furtash in July 2019 to fight his extradition. Doesn't that sound similar to another case we just saw concluded? As Giuliani sought information in Ukraine to damage, uh, damage Joe Biden, doesn't this sound exactly or extremely similar to the case we just saw occur with Pross Michelle and Pross Michelle trying to hire people within or at least buy off people and bribe them, influence them within DOJ to stop the investigation into one MDB. And here Furtash hired Giuliani because he was trying to get, he wanted to influence the U.S. to um, the Trump admin to not go through with the extradition and to drop the, the indictment against him. Wouldn't it be fascinating if, because of the current climate of things, this guy's indicted in Ukraine and then Austria extradites him to Ukraine? And then Ukraine extradites him to the U.S. That'd be fun. I don't think Putin minds seeing these uh, seeing these oligarchs go down. I really don't. Liberty reigns again. Thank you very much. And thank you for becoming a monthly supporter. Really appreciate it. Good morning, JC Bird and Mermaid Miss K. Good morning, y'all. Okay, what was that? Let me let me pull up the drop first. Y'all may remember. There was a um this drop mentioned ascension. The most recent Q drop. Wasn't there another one that mentioned it? Yeah, right here. This one. So I think they're the only two. Let me make sure. Pretty sure they're the only two that mention Ascension. Pretty sure. 
Yeah. Okay. So November 18th and then November 27th, we got these two drops and they mention Ascension. The one from November 18th mentions Rumbeck, Dominion, Secretary of State offices, investigators, researchers, whistleblowers, patriots and trusted positions. Trust yourself. You have seen the truth. Time to show the world. Focus, focus, Ascension. This came right after the midterms. And a lot of us thought this had to do with um, Arizona. And the word ascension in context of the drop seems to be not a name of something. It seems to be a modus or a, um, a mood or a, an action of elevating yourself above things um, or either per ascension personally or like community wide arising above something like that's how I see it or evolving to a higher level or a, a, a better understanding. Um, that's how I interpret this drop because it starts off naming things like these are real names of, of companies and then offices are a real thing. And then investigators, researchers, and whistleblowers are titles or descriptions, right? So is Patriots. The description, but then it switches to a different thing. Where it's saying, "Trust yourself. You have seen the truth. Time to show the world. Focus." That's away from being descriptive, like it's naming or giving a title to something. And then it says ascension. So I never took it as being the name of anything. This next one on November twenty seventh mentions ascension, ascension again, but this drop was more odd because. I mean, it says, what is coded in your DNA? Who put it there? Why mankind is repressed? What I would think of is God. Uh, who will be repressed? No, we will be repressed no more. Information is knowledge. Knowledge is power. Information is power. This is correct. That's an equation, and it makes sense. How do you protect your DNA? There is a war for your DNA. Protect your DNA. Ascension. So, still, with this drop, I didn't think of Ascension as being the name of anything. But I did see some digs that um, were floating around trying to figure out what Ascension might mean. And off the top of my head, I remember an island named Ascension. And I remember a medical company of some sort named ascension but then there are also other ascensions there's um there's a uh um i want to say there's like a cbd company or a health product company called ascension i'm sure there's a lot of other businesses called ascension um and churches so anyway i always felt that ascension wasn't actually naming a place but i remember a dig about it being an island the Space Force was on, and I believe it was Karma Patriot, and I don't know if she's here, but I'm pretty sure the, the dig I'm remembering is one that Karma Patriot did. So when Space Force, or Space, Space Launch Delta 45, um, this is the official Twitter page of the Patrick Space Force base at Cape Canaveral. And they put out 
<laughs> They're followed by Karma. I see her right there. And UK Neil. Um, they put out this article saying, we are excited to announce the Ascension Island Auxiliary Airfield runway project is now complete. This critical initiative will enhance our ability to support the nation's space launch operations and ensure the continued success of our mission. Good morning, Karma. I see you are here. Um, and then their next tweet, they quote tweet and said, the island runway supports both Space Force and our UK partners. Hashtag partner to win. Now, I am not sure that the Ascension mentioned here, the description of this island, it relates to the Ascension mentioned in these drops. But it's Space Force, which is cool, and it might. It might. The Air Force Installation and Mission Center recently completed a $352.6 million full-depth rebuild of the remote runway at Ascension Island Auxiliary Airfield. They're planning to use this thing. Located in the southern Atlantic, it has a 10,000-foot runway that was fully inspected and approved for use on April 29th. The airfield at Ascension Island plays a significant role in supporting U.S. Space Force, aided by Space Launch Delta 45 at Patrick Space Force Base in Florida. United Kingdom's Royal Air Force and several other military mission requirements, as well as governmental agencies located on the British-owned islands. It was a three-year construction project that just got completed. It was a Herculean effort. I'm sure it was to build a giant runway, a 10,000-foot runway in a um, on an island in the southern was the southern Atlantic, right? In the southern Atlantic, wow. I'm sure it was. Um, this Ascension Island runway construction is the most complex cradle-to-grave execution that has been seen in years. Nichols said, and provided invaluable experience and many lessons learned to engineers and community and inter- industry partners. Ultimately, this unity effort of this group, reflecting experience, in the eye, blah, 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 it wasn't as blah, blah, blah. All right. I don't know if that's, like I said, I don't know if it does hit. I don't know if it connects. If I had to guess, I would say, no, it doesn't. I would say that the Ascension referenced in these drops is not this Ascension Island, but I can't help but keep it in mind. And Karma, if you would like, go find this tweet and quote tweet your your dig on top of it about those drops, if you want to. Okay, I got that, I got that, got that, got that. I'm going through this stuff way faster than I thought I would. Okay, we might have an early ending to the show today. Which is fine, because I need I do have an errand I need to run. So I might do that. All right. So um John posted this article from Media Matters. And I don't know if you know who Media Matters is. I'm sure that you do. Most of you do, but what Media Matters are are a group of leftist activists who make it their mission to find people on the right, to find conservatives and uh, anons and and others, especially people who are not corp- corporate, who are independent, and um, 
try and get them canceled. That's the whole point. And uh, Alex Kaplan is the main asshole over there. And uh, so anyway, he came out with this article this weekend and John truthed it out. And he said he's kind of disappointed he didn't get on the list for Buy Me a Coffee. And this article is about how Buy Me a Coffee, which I've used for a long time. Um, it has been great. Um, they want to, pr this whole article is about shaming Buy Me a Coffee to cancel QAnon figures that use that service. And the article says that they, what they did, what they did is um, Media Matters went to all of our Buy Me a Coffee pages and probably ran a script, but I like to imagine that some poor soul ended up sitting at a computer and scrolling every donation we ever got and adding it up that they probably ran a script to add it up for them. And then they read all the comments, scanning them for anything QAnon related. Anytime somebody put where we go one, we go all or something like that. They added all that up and they came up with the QAnon figures have raised nearly $200,000 combined off of buymeacoffee.com. The whole purpose of this article is to get, um, buymeacoffee.com to cancel us. So in this article, they included Charlie Freak, iDrop Media. They included Tron Anon, one of my favorite people in this movement. And they also included Liz Crokin and George News and me. I don't know if you guys know it, but apparently I'm a QAnon influencer now. Yay. Um, I've never thought of myself as such. And I really hate... I just, I, ugh, I hate being called influencer. It's gross. Um, oh, it's gross. But I mean, I do talk about Q sometimes. Um, I don't consider myself QAnon, but anyway, I made a media matters article. Great. It's great. And they say I made at least $16,000 from buy me a coffee. And that's true. That's pretty accurate. Um, buymeacoffee.com has been a, um, a really great way for me to make some income while doing this. Um, I don't, I don't have another job besides this. I've, uh, I set out, um, exactly a, well, no, a year and a half ago. I set out pretty much exactly a year and a half ago to try and do this show Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and some other shows and to do threads and write and all these other things on Substack, and um to try and make a living at this and this is my job and buymeacoffee.com was a means of me having income and that figure is about right over the past uh, while i while the, over the time that i've been using it and um you know guys everything that i do is free there's no paywall for anything i do but people are free to donate or to buy me a coffee or however they want to support the show. And I'm thankful for all of it. And my favorite thing about buymeacoffee.com isn't the money I made off of it. It's actually the messages thanking me. Like, look at what these people did. They pulled out a, um, a message thanking me. Much gratitude for your work, presentation, and level-headedness during this storm. 
And that's pretty typical of the, the thank you notes I got at buymeacoffee.com. And I got to say that that is what I am going to miss the most now that I have been canceled off of buymeacoffee.com. I got this message this morning telling me that they've canceled my page for violations of terms of their service. And so Media Matters got their win. They managed to get me canceled off of buymeacoffee.com, which, as you can see, has been a substantial source of income for me. So I want to thank everybody who has ever given me um, or, or, you know, left me a message or bought me coffee through that link. Um, I sincerely appreciate it. It was a great way for me to be able to support what I do. And um, you guys left me so many amazing messages. And a lot of them I screenshot and saved into a folder because the messages you wrote me meant so much to me. And now I'm sad because I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't screenshot all of them. And I really wish I had saved more of them. And I'm hoping that in the email notifications I got for some of them, that maybe they included part of the message. Sometimes that happens, but Like I'm not discounting the money, like the money was good for me and I needed it, but the messages were the most important part. That was, that was what I really looked forward to. And, uh, that's what upsets me about it because buy me a coffee was a unique way where you could not only tip someone, but you could leave this nice message. Um, anyway, so media matters got that done. It sucks, but it is what it is. And that is the, that is the not a game, but that is the arena I'm in. And, uh, so I've been canceled from, I've been banned on Facebook and I've still recently, I've recently, I've tried to get back on Facebook. Um, and I can't make a new account even from other emails. Um, so I'm banned on Facebook, banned on Twitch and canceled, banned from buymeacoffee.com. And I feel like there's one other thing I've been canceled on that I'm forgetting YouTube, YouTube has banned me. Um, and that just, that just goes with the territory. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do something different. Um, maybe some other, maybe there's some other service will now jump in and be like, we're going to be buy me a beer.com or something, or, uh, buy me a stogie.com, buy me a whiskey.com. I don't know. Maybe there's some other group that's going to come up with a, a buy me a coffee.com alternative that works as well. Um, the thing that made buymeacoffee.com so great was that they only took 5%. So for every dollar you spent through buy me a coffee, they kept five cents and the rest went to the creator you were buying the coffee for. And so that is, that made it far and away the best option because they took such a small cut. Substack does the same, same thing. Substack takes a very small portion of, of the money you give to a, a, an author on the site. And, um, whereas YouTube and, um, even rumble, they take, they take a chunk. You know, rumble takes like 20% and that's still lower than other sites. Um, so rumble is by no means bad, but it's still, they take 20 cents of every dollar. 
buy me a coffee took five cents. So that was really nice. But there are other options to support the show. You guys who liked using buymeacoffee.com, again, I really sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. Without people using that buymeacoffee.com link over the past year or so, I don't know that I would still be doing this. Maybe I would be um, because of Badlands starting up last fall. Um, that may have carried me through to where I probably would have probably would have carried me through. I, w- I probably would still be doing this, but I don't know. There, there were, there was, de- especially early on, um, the buy me a coffee link, um, and people contributing that way really made a difference and helped me continue to do this and for it to continue to make sense for my family, for me to continue doing this. Um, that's where buy me a coffee really came in clutch. But I'll have to find something else, and uh, this is definitely not going to stop me. It just sucks. It's just an inconvenience, and it sucks, and it pisses you off, you know? Um, So there are other ways you can support me. One of them that I don't push very often is redwhitebourbon45.com, which is where my merch is at. Um, She's recent. uh, Melissa over there has recently redone the site, and she's added a few things on there. She has... um, She's added a donate link on there where you can donate to um, me, Patrick's philosophy, Underground Railroad, and 100% of it goes to us. She doesn't take a fee for it. So that's one option. But you can also, and honestly, I kind of rather you get something. Um, I'd rather you go here to my store. If you go to Red White Bourbon 45, click on my face over there, you'll see my merch. And you can buy merch and you can get something in return. Whether it's just a sticker or a shirt um, I did happen to catch somebody in um defected chat last night mentioned they were wearing a program yourself shirt, which that was cool. Um the coffee mugs are my favorite, and there's a new design. It's not really new, but it's been on here for a while, I think. Um, but I love this design for understanding is greater than reacting. I think it looks really classy, and I love this mug. I'm proud of this mug. You should get yourself one. <laughs> if you want one, if you want to support the show and get something in return, red, white, and bourbon 45.com is a great place to go where you can do that. And then also my friends at bensonhoneyfarms.com. If you go there and use rep code, just human and get yourself some honey or some candy or some soap or whatever it is, use rep code, just human. That helps me out as well. In the best place, solely the number one best place is Substack. Now that Buy Me a Coffee is gone, Substack is number one. They take the least amount of money from what you give, which means the most of your money goes to where you intend it to go. Um, but again, I'm going to be fine. This sucks, but I'm going to be just fine. Um, I appreciate everybody who gave to me that way and it really came in clutch for me and, um, yeah, I'm just thankful for it. And this is just part of how things go and something new will come along and we'll just keep on going. If you're not subscribed to my Substack, you should be, it's free. You can choose a paid subscription if you want, but you can just do it for free and you still get everything on there which is occasional articles and then 
um, my podcast, the podcast version of this show. Jason, thank you for the rant and for becoming a monthly supporter. That's another thing you can do, guys. You can become, a, if you liked using the Buy Me a Coffee link, the monthly supporter option that Rumble has added, that's a great way. Because if, if I remember correctly, remember correctly, monthly supporters, this first, the first people signing up like the first year of it, the majority of your money or all of it is going to the creators. I don't think Rumble's taking a cut. So the monthly supporter option is great. And um appreciate that very much. He says that uh, Jason says that Tron and this channel are his two favorites. Good thing Rumble not taking the castle money this year. Yep. Let's cancel Media Matters. Yeah. There are some, uh, I think Media Matters is funded by some pretty nasty people. But thank you very much for becoming a uh, monthly supporter. And Tron, Tron's one of my favorite channels too. <laughs> um, it is. So, all right. Last thing. I know it's a bit of a shorter show today, but that's what we're going to do. Last thing. This tweet from Burning Bright, who we have been trying to get him to be more active on Twitter. He, um, he's been kind of trained by his, uh, his other job. Twitter has become just means work to him. So like, it's been like a mindset shift for Twitter to be useful for what he's been doing in our community. Um, but we've get, we're getting him more and more active on Twitter. If you're not following burning bright, Look him up. It's R.E. Burning Bright. At R.E. Burning Bright on Twitter. Go follow him and encourage him to tweet more because tweets like this are gold. He said, there are people purporting to have functioning brains who believe that the totally in-control deep state installed a bumbling idiot into the Oval Office and had him continue Trump-era policies while exposing decades of institutional corruption in the form of his own crimes. I don't think those people's brains are functioning all that well, if that's what they're thinking. Great tweet. I love it. It's my favorite tweet of this entire weekend. <laughs> I've been chuckling about it um, all weekend since I saw him, saw it. So make sure you get Burning Bread a follow. And you're not, if you're not following me, then... Give me a follow. I'm at Real Just Human, and I stream this show on Twitter. And uh, thank you for everybody who's watching on Twitter. And if you like consuming it, that I've heard some people like uh, watching it on Twitter and then chatting on Rumble, or they like watching it on Rumble and then scrolling Twitter, whatever, wherever you like to watch. But I appreciate people watching over on Twitter. I'm going to continue to stream over there. So. All right. That is my show for today. And again, I just, I really want to say a heartfelt thank you to everybody who used the buymeacoffee.com link to give to my show and to what I do. Sincerely appreciate it. You guys did make a difference. I want you to, I really want y'all to know buying me a coffee, whether it was 
one coffee or five coffees or more. Your messages and your donation made a real difference over this past year and a half. And uh, I sincerely appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. And I'm going to miss those messages. So find another way to leave them. Leave them on my sub stack or uh, somewhere else. Um, I appreciate it. So you guys have a blessed day. Have an awesome week. This weekend's going to be great. Carrie Lake could be could be some big stuff happening in the Carrie Lake case. Um, looking forward to that. And uh, who know, who knows what else will happen this week. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Y'all stay positive. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. Even battles with media matters. We're not going to win every battle. But we are going to win this war. I'll see you on Wednesday. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I messed up that outro. Just a moment, just a moment. Okay, okay, let's try that again. Let's try that again. It was such a pro exit, I had to, you know, super pro it and uh, mess something up. All right, here we go. I, and actually, I think my either I've gotten taller or my camera has fallen down some because my top of my head's getting cut off. I noticed how I'm defected last night. I think my camera has gotten lower or my chair is higher. That might be it. My chair might be higher up. Anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling here. Um, all right, let's try this exit again. Three, two, one. Okay, I think I got it. All right, see y'all.